Hello and welcome to Mindfulness Music and More with me, Shalini Bala-Lucas and my co-host Mugambi Nthiga. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you and to bring you the fifth season of this podcast, focusing on your mental health and well-being. Our lineup of guests will inspire you, inform you, entertain you, motivate you, make you smile, make you cry and will always give you food for thought. So do stay with us for the next hour as we talk about mental health and mindfulness, play some music and meditate together. But as always, a roundup of what's been happening in our lives, Mugambi. How you been this week? Well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're not talking about the weather. No, no, no. I was not going to bring up the weather at all. I mean, that's, that's, that is, I, I, or, I have been. Although our guest will, I'm sure. I've been I'm faring sure. pretty well. Surprisingly, okay. but I really loved last week's episode. It was very inspiring being with Kigondo. Um, I, di- I didn't mention this on air, but I'm actually writing something. Oh, yeah, solo performance piece, which has been really the bane of my existence. <laughs> I don't enjoy writing at all. Let's uh, talk about the weather because <laughs> our guest today will want to talk about it because she has come all the way from Samburu oh. uh, for today's interview. She was born and raised in Kenya and believes the key to lion conservation is ensuring that local communities lead conservation efforts. She founded Iwaso Lions in 2007 to promote continued coexistence between carnivores and people. She lives in the Iwaso Lions Camp in Westgate Conservancy, Samburu, with her two dogs, Kura and Nanyuri. And I can tell you that the first message I got from her this morning was, it is so cold in her <laughs> <laughs> She's also fortunate enough to be my younger sister. Hey. She describes herself as introverted, passionate, and a dog lover. Shivani Bala, welcome to Mindfulness Music and more. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. It's cold. It's really cold. You I think there's about a 20 or 30 degree difference between Samburu and Nairobi. <laughs> so, I mean, Samburu and then Nanyuki is actually not too bad. It's when you hit Karatina, right? It's literally when you get, yeah, Karatina, Sagana, mm. and on your outskirts of Nairobi, you suddenly feel it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm wearing clothes like I wear as if I'm in winter in England. <laughs> I'm getting that sentiment quite quite a lot. There's people who live in winter temperatures who say that this Nairobi cold is a little bit more insidious. Yes. Because it's not... It's architecture, Nairobi life is not designed around how cold it can get. No. Yeah. It's just it's so for... You, yeah. You can be at home and feel a draft coming out of nowhere <laughs> and it goes into your bones. Well, we've got, we've got uh, tile everywhere. Tile yeah, true, everywhere. True. So it's like not, and I don't Tile even have proper concrete. curtains. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Freezing. So Samburu is nice and warm. Yeah. It is. is it? it is. We're having cooler mornings, but nothing like this. But then it really warms up and it's lovely days at the moment. What's like the average temperature? Um, like It varies a lot. Yeah. I actually think we had our highest record June weather in terms of high temperatures. Mm. I don't remember a June being that hot. hot. Mm. Normally it's February, March. That's really, really hot. It goes up to about 40, 42 what on earth but this june we were getting up there it was about what? getting up to yeah 38 39 so it felt very hot <sighs> so tell me how long have you lived in samburu shivani yeah so i've been there just over 20 years now wow. yeah. what brought you to samburu and what kept you there i went there for a weekend to help out at a tourist camp and basically never left mm-hmm. and what kept me there was the passion for wildlife in Samburu and getting to know the communities who live alongside wildlife 
that's definitely what has kept me there for so long. And mm. now it's home. Although I was born and raised here in Nairobi, I feel like it's very foreign to me now. Each time I come back, I see something new and I'm very keen to get back home to Samburu as quick as I can. <laughs> we feel that we even if we live here. <laughs> I, I you're, live part-time, part-time. Yeah. Me, I'm a part-time Nairobian. When, you, when you're full-time, do you, do you ever feel like you're going down the road and you're like, where, where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 a not just that. On a, the way to Nanuki, yeah. every, like we were on that road, we're on that road pretty much every two weeks now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, when did that building come mm-hmm. up? And Amr's like, yeah, when did it come up? <laughs> <laughs> like literally, it's oh, insane. Wow. It's insane. What does Nairobi feel like for you mm. when you get when you get here and very, you spend very foreign mm-hmm. and i haven't been into the city center for probably 10 to 15 years It, so today was my first time to come back into the city center and there's something about nairobi city center i used to work right here in the city for two and a half years mm-hmm. And it brought back a lot of memories. It's changed a lot, obviously, mm-hmm. but this building was still around and the buildings all around it were still around. So it brought back a lot of memories of when I used to work here back in, I think it was 2000. Oh. I was here for two years. But obviously it's changed a lot with the highways and expressways yeah. and the traffic is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it, it brings back lots of memories and it's good to be here in the city center, but I'm always happy to leave. <laughs> I love that. So we're very different, right? Because I could not live the life you live, Shivani. So tell us what you lived in a tent for 12 years, was it? Like a tent tent. Look at Mugambi's face. Yeah. <laughs> like literally it was like a drop-down toilet which had uh, geckos and lizards and snakes. <laughs> oh no. And and hot water in a bucket, right? Oh. Is that true? So yeah, actually it was 20 years in a tent. Okay. Uh, What? I thought it was 12. The tent size grew over time. So <laughs> I started with a very, very small tent. And then over the years, the tent size became slightly bigger, bigger, bigger. Up till a couple of years ago, I was actually living in a very nice big tent. Mm-hmm. The bathroom situation was tricky. There was a hole in the ground and the water was basically a bucket kept out in the sun. Ah. And I would just use that. And yeah, lots of scorpion snake encounters, which were never great. I'm oh not a fan God. of snakes. And eventually then I, two years ago, I moved into a container home. So I now mm. live in three shipping containers that have been built into a house. And I cannot go back to a tent at all. Every, anytime oh, someone says, let's go camping. I'm like, no, I've done that for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go to a nice fancy lodge, sure. And yeah, it's nice to have doors. It's nice to have windows. It's nice to have solid walls all around me. I definitely don't miss the flapping tent at all. Right. Yeah. Wow. I remember when Shivani used to come and uh, visit uh, me and Jeremy in England and she'd get off the plane out of the taxi and then I'd say, okay, go for a shower because she probably hadn't had a shower for like <laughs> weeks. And she would actually love the showers, right? I did, because I did. Even coming to Nairobi was quite exciting because I knew I'd have a proper shower <laughs> wow. and I knew the dirt would be finally washed away. But I finally have that now. So, yeah, there's I don't need to come back to Nairobi for showers anymore. So what? Um, tell us a little bit about your work, Shivani, because I know a lot about your work, but I'm still always in awe of the fact that you have chosen, I think, a really tough life in Samburu. We think tough, but you do you think it's a tough life? It's definitely a challenging life and there are days that are very, very hard and days that are a real struggle for myself and our team because we there's so much that happens there that's very difficult to see, difficult to watch. 
But what keeps me there and what has kept me there for so long is my team. I have an extraordinary Iwasa Lions team. We've grown from a team of four to about 64 now, 65 what? actually. Uh, and the communities who live alongside wildlife inspire me every single day. They have so much courage to continue to live alongside wildlife because it's not easy. Mm. It's not easy losing your cows and camels to lions. And that's one of the main threats that we have been addressing for the last 20 years. Samburu communities have lived with, they live with their livestock, their pastoralists, their cows and camels means everything to them. So when a lion comes along and is looking for food and targets a camel or a cow, of course, there's so much anger and resentment. The communities get very upset and want to kill the lion. Mm. So that has been our work for the last last 15 to 20 years is addressing that threat of livestock being killed by lions and encouraging communities not to retaliate. But it's not easy. It's mm. not easy. Our team face a lot of challenges and angry people because they understand exactly what it's like to lose a camel. Jenneria, who's our director of community conservation, he has camels himself. He knows the pain it is mm. he feels when he loses a camel to a lion. Mm. And so he has to deal with that every single day. It's not easy. It's very, very tough. And I, I guess over the years, we've seen more challenges and more threats. Climate is a big issue. Mm. We keep facing more and more droughts. As you saw last year, the whole right. country right. was in a drought. And Samburu was really, really struggling. Mm. The droughts, the... The dry river, our main Iwasa Nyura River, dries up every single year now. We're out there digging water holes for communities and wildlife every single day. So, yeah, the threats and challenges have definitely increased. And, oh, they've changed. We've, we're living in a very adaptable landscape. It's changing all the time. But it's also a very resilient landscape. And mm. Samburu bounces back and it recovers. And suddenly you see grass again and water again and wildlife back. And that's really what keeps me going. Wow. That's amazing. I want to take you all the way back. But before we do, let's go to your first uh, song choice. It's Every Breath You Take by The Police. Why have you chosen this song? And why am I not surprised that it was on your list? <laughs> so I actually, when you sent me the questions as to name three songs, I'm terrible <laughs> with naming songs. <laughs> I listen to songs. I don't remember their names. I like them. But there has been one that I've never forgotten since I was... I think it's probably six years old, mm. is when I first heard Every Breath You Take. Mm. And I didn't really know the meaning of that song until I was an adult, mm. but I quickly chose to forget the meaning of the song. It's a stalking song. It's a song. stalking, it's a stalking song. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be watching but you. I still, I've still always loved it since I was a child. And I was in a car with my grandfather and my uncle and my mum, and that was the only song that was playing. In, you were driving from London to Paris. Yes. And Whoa. that's all there was, was every breath you take. And it really stuck in my head. What, you listen to this one song? The one song. All the way from London. to how's, How long is that by car? Uh, and this was a long time ago. It yeah. was, yeah, before probably the Channel Tunnel even. So I don't remember, but it was probably four, five hours more, maybe. So one song stuck in my head. Oh, and you would have gone by ferry, right? So, I can't yeah. remember. I was, oh, it was by ferry, okay. I, I missed, I, I'm just saying, I missed that trip <laughs> because I got chicken pox. I had to stay back in London. One was not amused. <laughs> let's, let's go have a listen to Every Breath You Take.
welcome back to Mindfulness Music and More. You have just been listening to Every Breath You Take by the Police. I hope you're still stalking us <laughs> on this episode. <laughs> it's a special terrible. episode. <laughs> yeah, you know, I tried. But it's a fab song. I, I love it. I yeah. love Sting. Oh, sexy yes, as hell. He's amazing. He's, he's got a wonderful energy. Um, so we are speaking with conservationists and um, a resident of a tent for, for two decades, uh, Shivani. Bala, thank you so much for being on this show. I'm loving the conversation so far. And I'm wondering where this started. You mentioned before the break that you uh, visited Samburi and decided to stay. But I mean, the the resilience, the amount of time that you've been there and forsaken what would be an ordinary script of uh, growing up, uh, working, living and working where you grew up and, you know, living the life that you knew, uprooting yourself and planting yourself elsewhere. Where did that come from? That very much came from a childhood passion of mine. Mm -hmm. We were very lucky as children. We'd go on safari a, a lot with my parents. And I developed this real passion and interest in wildlife from a very young age. Mm -hmm. And when I was eight, I remember we were on safari in Shaba, so right next to Samburu National Reserve. And we did a safari into Buffalo Springs one of the days. And I spotted my first cheetah. And I never, ever forgot that moment. I had this old wind-up camera and I took photos of this cheetah walking through the grass and I still have those photos today. Yeah. And I never, ever forgot that moment. And that really is what got me so interested in wildlife, especially cheetahs. I was obsessed with cheetahs my whole childhood. I went to school here and everyone knew about my cheetah obsession. They'd <laughs> give me cheetah postcards and cheetah this, cheetah that. My school files were covered with cheetahs. My wall at home in my bedroom was covered in cheetahs. So when I moved to Samburu and I wanted to do some work actually on cheetahs, mm -hmm. I drove around for months and <laughs> didn't actually find a cheetah. Not a single one. Not a single one. <laughs> and I was under a lot of pressure because I was doing my master's at the time and my supervisor was reminding me every single day that I had a thesis to submit. Mm. And I couldn't find anything. But he said, well, you should, must be seeing something else. And I said, well, I am seeing lions every day. And he said, well, change to lions. And I said, I know nothing about lions, though. And he said, well, you better figure out it quickly and learn quickly because we do need a thesis from you. So I switched to lions and I've never, ever looked back. But the mm. funny thing is then I started seeing cheetahs, but it was too <laughs> late. I switched. But there are only like three cheetahs, right, in Samburu? Well, the numbers have gone up. It's, it's quite exciting to see cheetah numbers have gone up, oh, especially in the last few years. Okay. But the lion situation, what got me really interested is when I was a kid, I would see big prides of lions in Mara, Amboseli, very lazy, boring lions, I would, I would say that. Like everyone just expects lions to just sleep around all day. The males lounge around, the females do the hunting. That's typically what you expect to see with lions. Mm -hmm. But this is not what I was seeing in Samburu. I was seeing solitary lions. I was seeing small groups of lions. Males were extremely active. And what the most important thing that I saw was every time the lions left the protected areas, the safety of the protected areas, they often never came back or they would come back really quickly. And mm. that's what got me going. And I really wanted to discover what exactly is happening to this lion population and why are they disappearing and why are we having such small prides? And it was then that we also learned that lions across Africa were in trouble, lions across Kenya, the numbers were down, and no one had any idea what was happening to the lion population in northern Kenya. So that's really how Iwasa lions began. I wanted to understand more about this lion population and really figure things out. Mm. Give us some numbers. So when you started in Samburu, how many lions were there and how many are there now? And also when you say lions are in trouble, Give us some, some statistics over the last few years. Yeah, so 
lions across Africa, there's only about 20,000 lions left. And most of those are in about six countries across the whole continent. In Kenya, we have about 2,500 lions. Mm. Which is nothing, actually, when you think about it. It's very thing, and it's also most of them are in southern Kenya. Mara's got good population, mm. Salva and Baseli. So the numbers are definitely low, and we've lost about half of our lion population across Africa just in the last 25 years. Oh, my. So it really does put things into perspective when you think just, yeah, since I've been in Samburu, Africa's lions have pretty much been disappearing really quickly. Why, is, why is that? Yeah. Different threats. In East Africa, habitat loss is a big problem. Lions mm. are just running out of space. Mm. And most of our lions actually live outside protected areas, but that's when they come into contact and conflict with communities and often will be looking for food, struggling to find food, will attack livestock, but then communities will get very upset and often will shoot or poison lions in retaliation. Some cases they spear them in southern Kenya. Mm. So the, the reasons vary a lot. In northern Kenya, we're seeing a shift. Mm. Initially, 20 years ago, we were seeing that threat of retaliation as being the big problem for lions. Mm. But now over time, we're seeing new threats. We're seeing lack of habitat. They're just really struggling to move from one place to another. Their corridors that used to be open are now blocked. And one of the most important things for a lion is food. But lions are actually really struggling to find enough wild prey. Mm. And that comes down to the habitat again. Mm. There's so little grass in Samburu. We go through droughts every single year. The land is so severely degraded that the herbivore numbers really are down. And the herbivores are struggling themselves. So lions just don't have enough food anymore. And that's when they start looking for lost camels and lost donkeys and lost cows, which is, of course, a huge problem. I see. So lots of new threats and challenges have been creeping up in the last couple of years. When, when you talk about the degradation of land, what's causing that? It's a number of things. Climate's definitely a big part of mm. it. The fact that we just don't have enough rain, so it's not giving the the land enough time to recover but also the land is so has been used so much by so much livestock that often when it does rain the water doesn't even sink in it just washes away the topsoil and then you get flooding in Samburu mm. so it's not really a healthy landscape it's not a landscape that's allowing regeneration there's a lot of amazing efforts by our partner projects up in Samburu are really working on habitat degradation and just trying to restore it and really improve the rangelands because without healthy rangelands nothing will survive up there cows won't survive herbivores won't survive and lions won't survive mm. so it really comes down to healthy rangelands mm. but in spite of all this your numbers have gone up you had something like 11 lions when you first started iwasa lions so we did we knew about 11 lions right back in 2008 now we're monitoring about 50 so last year 2022 was actually our highest year of our lion numbers we had amazing lions doing well across the landscape we work in because we work in about 4,500 square kilometers mm. so the numbers had gone up and it was great to see the reality is lions actually do well in droughts so everything else oh. is dying and the lions are feeding off carcasses feeding off weak prey feeding off lost livestock so they do quite well in the drought oh. the problem is if the droughts keep going on and on and on then they're eventually going to really struggle to find enough food so they did well last year. All the cubs survived. We had a lot of cubs born in the last couple of years and mm. they all made it. Mm. So our line numbers are very high. But this is not the time for us to be to sit back 
and relax because of our healthy lion population. We've right. already lost four lions this year, and that's so hard for our team mm. to have gone through so many years of not losing any lion, mm. any lions, to suddenly losing four between January and now. What, Very hard for us. What did you lose them to? Various reasons. One was unknown. We just found her carcass. Mm. The second one was shot seven times in the shoulder. Oh Gosh. Goodness. And we found him very, very far away, even outside the area we work in. Mm. He had a radio collar. That's the only reason we were able to find him. Mm. And so shot that was by devastating. Home. A herdsman, but we don't know who. Mm. We it was he. It was a couple of days later by the time we found him. Mm. And then two very tragic incidents happened in May. We lost one lion that was hit on the highway. So oh. there's a huge tarmac highway that cuts across northern oh. Kenya now, oh. which is really important for development, mm. definitely. The challenge is it cuts across three protected reserves. Mm. And so a lot of wildlife often do cross the highway. Mm. And now we've lost our second lion on that highway. One was just in in May this year a young male mm. and that was really really hard because just the day before we'd seen him and he was with a whole pride of 11 and he was there looking after this pride and he actually was very important to raising to helping keep that pride going and oh. then the next morning he was hit oh. by a, by a vehicle yeah. and then the fourth line we lost was Samburu's most well-known lioness called Nanai and we've known her for 14 years she was We've known her since she was born. Mm. And Nanai, about a year ago, actually developed a cancerous growth in her mouth. Mm. And she was unable to hunt. She was unable to feed. And the vets did an extraordinary job in January. We had vets from KWS, vets from Nanyuki, who came and actually cut off this cancerous growth. And I never thought that was possible. Mm. I didn't think we could do lion surgery in the <laughs> middle of a bush under, you know, in Samburu Reserve. But we did. And... They removed the growth and it gave Nanai an extra four months to raise her cubs, mm. which she did really well. She started hunting again. She started feeding again. And then in April, her cubs left her and are fending for themselves. And in the first week of May, we noticed the growth came back and she wow. lost her body condition so quickly. And the vets made the decision, the best decision for her, which was to euthanize her humanely. Mm. So that was a huge loss for, for our team who have known her for 14 years. But Nanai has left a tremendous legacy in Samburu and her cubs survive. And although we feel the loss every day, we get to see her cubs all the time. So that's a good sign. I find it really interesting, right, that I, I hear this all the time, Mugambi, but you're yeah, like blown away. I'm so fascinated. But I also think that the way you talk about your lions is like their family. Yeah. It really feels that way. Like Nanai, you have followed her. You know that she had an illness. You know all about her cubs. She's She becomes effectively a sort of family member, doesn't she, to all your team? Definitely. We've, especially Jenneri and I, who've known her since she was born. For She's been around for pretty much as long as Iwasa Lions has. You get to know them so well, their different personalities, what they're good at doing, what they're not so good at doing. Nanai was an extraordinary hunter. She wasn't the best mother. And interestingly, <laughs> her mother was another very famous Samburu lioness called Nashipai. She was, again, an extraordinary hunter, but not a very good mother. So you get to know them so well. It's you follow them. Thing. They pass it down. They pass Sounds it down. Just like we do. <laughs> yeah. It, it's amazing just getting to know them and you get to see their favorite areas they hang out in, their favorite trees, their favorite food. Just it's you, you get to know every single thing about the lions. It's and fascinating. It's, they do become very, very well known to you. So losing a lion 
is very, very hard for our team. It takes mm. us a long time to learn to live knowing, learn to basically live around that grief of knowing that we won't see that lion again. Mm. I do want to talk about your team, and I also am really curious how you name your lions because <laughs> Nashipai, Nanai, beautiful names. Yeah. But we'll do that after this next song choice, Read Your Mind by The Killers. Why have you chosen this song? I got to know The Killers a couple of years ago, and I really, really like their songs, and I got to see them live last year. And so Read Your Mind was definitely the one song that I remember watching live and just loving it. He did an extraordinary job singing that song. So I just, yeah, picked, picked that one. Okay, let's have a listen. Breaking out of this too stuff. 
Welcome back to Mindfulness Music and More. And in the studio today, I'm very, very happy to say my sister Shivani is here talking about lions. And I hear about all this all the time. But Mugambi, mm-hmm. your face is this beautiful smile. Yeah, um, no, I'm quite fascinated. <laughs> it's like we're it's we're dis- we're discussing these sentient beings, you know. We're discussing yeah. these 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 lions and and talking about them in terms that I've never heard lions being described. Like Sh- Shivani beautiful. knows, like you, you okay? Tell us because this is when I learned this blew my mind. How you identify lions, and also how are you naming the lions? Name them, in yeah. So the lions are named by our team, our communities, the rangers, the tour guides. Everyone gets to know the lions so well that they'll then name them based on based on a personality or unique characteristic of the lion. Mm. So Nashipai, we named her that because. she really was the most beautiful lioness i ever knew and nashapai means the beautiful joyful one mm. nanai was named by generia and nanai means belonging to me mine mm. and when she was a little cub generia said this one she's mine she's always at the back of the pride she seems so vulnerable and so scared all the time i really want to take care of her she's mine mm. so nanai was named after after because of generia naramat another lovely name she was named again uh, she was named by the community actually they said naramat is appears to be a very caring lioness so let's name her the caring one wow. so that's why she was named naramat so they all have different names some are quite funny the other day there was a big argument with our team because there was a very hopeless male who really did <laughs> absolutely nothing the, he was she chose, so you can see she chose her words <laughs> I, I was hopeless. like should i what should i say and so we named him hopeless male in the local <laughs> language and the team was so upset with me the the men in our team were like we're not naming him the hopeless male but anyway he stuck he's, what's, he's, what what yeah, is what's the word that? i can't even remember uh, um i can't remember was okay. he like a deadbeat didn't raise his cubs you know no he was went, with went to the club his three sisters okay. and his three sisters did all the work all right okay and he just sort of hung around and he actually acts like a typical southern kenya lion just literally does thought, nothing do you know what i thought she was going to say she he acts just like a typical man <laughs> nairobi man like a I thought kenyan nairobi yeah, man i was like nairobi man wow because if she'd said that she would have been right oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> am i being booed now by the people working on lions in southern kenya <laughs> oh. No, not at all. How do you identify lions? Yeah. I mean they all look the same to me. I'm sorry to say. A lion is a lion. Yeah, a lion, lion is a lion. Is a lion. Yeah. I I don't know that I saw one if I went, you know, just just drove drove round a kilometer and came back and saw the same one. I was in unless I was sitting in the same position doing the same thing, I'd be like, "Wait, is that the same one?" So each and every single lion has a unique whisker spot pattern. It's um. like our fingerprint on us is unique to each and every single one of us. Lions, if you look close up, you'll see if you have a cat at home, look at this look at the whisker spots on your cat. And literally every single lion has different numbers of spots, different size spacing between each one, different sizes of spots. So the most accurate way is you get at least a little close to the lion or have really good binoculars mm. and draw out the whisker spots and every single lion has different spots. Mm. But the more you see the lions, they all begin to look different mm. now. So even from far away, you can tell that's Mbeneo, that's that's um, uh, Nar- um, Narasha. That's mm. uh, yeah. Well, there's that's so many names. There's the u- hopeless male. <laughs> so there's just from far you can tell now. You don't actually have to get close up to the lions anymore. Wow. You can just tell from far. They just begin to look totally different to you. 
What's the relationship of the lions with you? Do they know you guys? I wish they did, but I don't think they do. <laughs> they know our cars. Yeah. Um, they do know our vehicles. And they, you know, I, I remember the first lioness we ever saw in 2009 near our camp. It had taken me one and a half years to find her, mm. of driving every single day looking for her. And I knew she was around. And then a year and a half later, she decided to come out and investigate our car. And she was very curious because she'd never seen a car before. And... She felt safe near our car then. And then for a whole year after that, every time we'd show up at six o'clock in the evening, she'd come out of the bushes and sit near our car. <laughs> and I think she, and she used to live alone. She was called Magellani. She used to live alone. And she really found, you know, us very, she was, we were an object of curiosity for wow. her. That's so interesting because the Samburu lions are not as habituated as perhaps the Mara lions, right? The ones in the park are, you can drive quite close up to them. They're on the roads often during the day, so you can see them much easier. But most of the lions we actually work with and the ones we really try through all our community programs to protect are lions living outside the protected areas. Mm. Those lions act very different. Mm. They hide all day in the thick toothbrush tree bushes. They come out only in the evening. They'll jump back in the bushes again before it's light in the morning. And they they literally are very nervous, very scared. They'll never let you drive up to them. And we always give them distance because we want them to still have that fear of humans mm. because that fear of humans is what keeps them keeps alive. Them safe, yeah. And you, if they suddenly start getting used to people, then they'll, end, you know, they'll get too close to villages and livestock and herders. And that's definitely not what we want. So we really give them space and we ensure that everything we do, we're, we're hoping that they still have that fear because that fear is for their own survival. Mm. So their behavior is so different. The lions living outside protected areas to the lions living inside it's very different. And we actually discovered something new just a week ago. Some two male lions who were born inside the park, who had very much park behavior, always out during the day, moved to the community area. Mm. And we were very nervous because we thought, well, now they're just going to be walking around in daylight, which is really bad for them because there's people everywhere, there's livestock, but they've changed their behavior. Oh. They've totally changed their behavior and now they're acting exactly like community lions. It's taken them a bit of time, but they've done it. So it's just fascinating to see the different behavior in the lions. It, it's fascinating to listen to you speak about it. It's because you amazing. Just, yeah, because when you see a lion in the park, that's what you think all lions oh, are like. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. We'll take pictures and take selfies yeah. and say we saw a lion yeah. and that's it. But here is. I, I'm curious to know how you've included the community because you talk a lot about the community naming them. That was not always the way. Communities didn't even know lions or, or some of the community kids had never even seen lions, right? How did you bring the communities in? You have loads of different projects. Tell us a, a, very quickly about them. When I started, I actually had no real plan or idea of what I was doing. For a while, I was driving around, never found a lion. I mean, it was just me sort of trying to figure out what was going on with the lion population. But things changed very quickly. And in March 2008, I was introduced to three young Samburu men from the community, Jenneria, Francis and Jeremiah. And have they, they all stayed with you? Yes, they're all still with us today. Their roles have changed so much over the years. Jenneria is now a director. Mm. Francis is a our community liaison manager and Jeremiah is now running a whole lion team. So things have definitely changed. We started from this small team of four and it was through their eyes that I began to understand how lions are still living alongside communities. 
There was a lot that the communities weren't quite sure about, though. They thought there was maybe just, you know, 10 lions in one area because they would see lots of tracks. But then by spending time with us in a vehicle, they realized that's actually one lion just walking around the bush. So they also had never really seen lions close up because, yes, you might live alongside lions, but you're only seeing the bad side of lions. You're seeing Mm. your camel being killed. You're seeing a lion running away because it's suddenly sensed the presence of a human. You, you're you not actually seeing lions close up the way we do or the way I did as a child going on safari. Right. So we change that and we bring communities into the parks, into the community areas where we're monitoring lions and they can actually see the lions close up. And often they can get to see lions doing what lions do mm. because so many, so many times they get to see just that bad side. But when you take them into the park on safari, they get to see lions hunting. They get to see lions sleeping under a tree. They get to see cubs playing. They get to see a whole new side of lions. And that definitely brings a new appreciation towards lions and builds that tolerance. But over time, over the last 15 years, we've built our team Pretty much most of them are from the Samburu and Turkana communities. Now we're a team of 65. And it's our team that have created their own programs to ensure that our mission, which is promoting continued coexistence between people and lions, continues. And despite all these threats and challenges and new things that are coming along, our team through their programs are adapting, they're flexible, and they're coming up with new ways so communities can continue to live alongside lions and lions continue to have space and food and safe habitat that they really need. Some of these programs, one of them is Warrior Watch, a program that Jenneria himself started in 2010, long time ago now. And he brought on board the young Samburu warriors and he said, we're going to work with the warriors, because he was a warrior himself, to protect lions soon after that the women were feeling a little bit left out they came to me and said we want our own program and that was the birth of mama simba run by two extraordinary samburu women and they're doing so much now in recovering lion habitat we also have lion kids camps and that's a program close to my heart because i was one of those lucky kenyan children to go on safari and see wildlife close up and get excited about it but most children have they don't get those experiences Mm. they they live outside with wildlife or they live in towns and they're not having access to what's so amazing about kenya's wildlife so through our lion kids camp program children spend five days with us and get super excited and interested about wildlife we often call children the next generation of conservationists Mm. but actually what we've seen is children become conservationists that very same day it's not about the future it's about them becoming a new generation of conservationists these programs they get that's what wakes me up every day because i get to see our team leading the conservation efforts i take i've taken a huge step back and i sort of watch from afar and provide finance the fundraising and strategy support for the project but it's the team who are leading the conservation efforts you often hear people saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we hire a community. We're community-based. We partner with communities. Iwas Alliance is not that. We are the community. Our whole team is the community. Mm-hmm. We're a community-led project. Mm-hmm. And this is something that, to me, is one of the only solutions we have to the biodiversity crisis we're facing globally, is put it all in the hands of our communities. So can you tell us also very quickly about two more things? One is the Jeremy Lucas Education Fund, um, which is close to my heart, and uh, something that's very close to your heart that's got nothing to do with lions. 
<laughs> well, I'll answer that next one, uh, the second one first, because it's got a lot to do with lions. Oh, right. Okay, sorry. <laughs> What's it's that? called Kura's Pride, and it's named after my dog Kura, meaning vote, as we all know. He showed up on our election day back in 2013. Oh. So we named him Kura because we were all running out to vote, and there he was, this lost limping dog in our camp. But Kura showed us that with a bit of care and attention, he became such an alert dog and su did such an incredible job of protecting all of us. And for a long time, I really wanted to do more for domestic dogs and Samburu because there is a connection between domestic dogs and wildlife. And this is something a lot of people don't realize, but there are diseases that are spread from domestic dogs to critically endangered wild dogs, to cheetahs, to hyenas, to lions. So if we can address wow. the welfare of domestic dogs and vaccinate them, treat them, deworm them, they will be in so much of a better condition and right. hopefully stop the spread of disease to wild carnivores. Mm. And secondly, the Samburu communities really need their dogs. They value them. They love their dogs because dogs play a huge role in herding. When livestock herders are out, it's the dogs that alert the owner to the presence of a lion or a cheetah or a wild dog. And even at night in the in the manata, if a hyena comes close to the the, the wall of the manata mm. it's the dogs that will wake up the livestock owner and alert them to the presence of that hyena so the value of dogs is huge but the the welfare unfortunately is not so great so mm. through kura's pride for the last three years we've been vaccinating dogs we've done over six thousand vaccinations we have our next ones coming up next weekend mm. we've treated so many dogs and improved their welfare we're also through our vet we are treating livestock that have been attacked by wildlife. And that's a huge service for the community. Just last week, Jess and Solomon were out treating a camel that had been attacked by a hyena. Mm. So now that's, again, really building that tolerance between communities and, and wildlife by providing that additional service. I can talk about Kura's Pride all day, yeah. but I won't. <laughs> you don't I'll have all to, day. I'll go to <laughs> Jeremy oh. Lucas Education Fund, which is just an exciting and hopeful program where... Young Samburu Turkana children are provided with bursaries to go to school mm. because so many of these children finish primary school and are stuck. Mm. They don't have that opportunity to go to secondary school. Because our government doesn't pay for secondary <coughs> education. Mm. And mm. so through the Jeremy Lucas Education Fund, children now are sponsored, students now are sponsored throughout secondary school. Then they come back and do one year of community service within their home area. And then most of the time, we also sponsor the students to go to college or university. Oh, wow. One great example is Solomon. He went through four years of, of secondary school. He worked with us for one year. Then he did four years of a bachelor's of natural resource management here at Kenyatta University. Mm -hmm. Then he came back for a year and volunteered at Kura's Pride. And now for the last two years, he's employed as our Kura's Pride coordinator. Wow. So he's running the whole program and with Jess. And I'm really excited to say in the next two months, he's heading to veterinary school and again Whoa. will be sponsored through the Jeremy Lucas Education Fund. So it's just amazing to see that these are young children who start off with us, but then they grow into these inspiring young adults through their education in, in Kenya. I mean, that's beautiful. I mean, um, for those who are listening to this episode for the first time and don't know what the background is, 
uh, to the Jer- Jeremy Lucas Educational Fund- Foundation. So, Could yeah. you talk a bit about that, Shalini? So when Jeremy passed away, he left me some money. Who, who's Jeremy? Oh, sorry. So Jeremy <laughs> Lucas, my, my husband of 19 years, mm-hmm. when he passed away from cancer in 2016, he left some money, a uh, small amount of money. And I came to Shivani and I said, I want to, I know he would want to fund girls' education. Mm-hmm. And Shivani said, look, girls often have a lot of... Uh, options in Kenya, the governments and and Mm. the government NGOs and things. Let's just fund children. So we started funding, and you already had something, didn't you? But it wasn't very uh, formal or, I think it was only one child at the time, Samson. And uh, so I gave a bit of money to Shivani. I said, this is to start off, but we'd like to do it in Jeremy's name. And Shivani was also very close to Jeremy. And it just felt like a very lovely tribute and a great legacy for a man who was extremely kind and caring and absolutely loved Samburu. He loved it. Jenneria and him were really good friends. Mm. Uh, They would go into the river when I'd be like, don't go into the river, you know, and Jeremy's like, no. And it was just uh, a a really lovely friendship. And um, I just felt that it was befitting his memory and I think Shivani felt the same uh, so that's how it started and to date I think it's been we've supported 16 children, 16 children. through wonderful. secondary and tertiary education and Solomon obviously being our our key guy but it's so funny because he's so tall I come up to his waist and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I look up at him like this 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 child has become this amazing man oh. through this it, it has great legacy. That's we beautiful. do need to move on. So we're going to go straight into the next song choice. It's Come Back Down by Greg Laswell.
Welcome back to Mindfulness Music and more. So Shivani, you recently won an amazing award in the UK. Tell us a little bit about that and what's going to happen as a result of that. We recently received the Whitley Fun for Nature Gold Award, which is an, a two-year award allowing us to start and develop a community-led toolkit where anywhere in the world this toolkit will hopefully be used to help conservation efforts so i'm really excited about this we actually started last week working on this two-year project and in about a year's time we're going to be bringing 25 conservationists from around the world and through everyone's experiences and knowledge and the challenges they've faced and the the things that have worked for them, we're going to then collectively develop this toolkit together. So yes, it's a two-year project, thanks to the Whitley Fund for Nature, and I'm going to be spending a lot of time myself on this project for the next couple of years. Some of your work's very exciting, right? Because I know you've talked about living in a tent in a container home, which I, I know is lovely and really harsh conditions. But you get to meet, and Jenneria get to meet some amazing people. Like Jenneria's traveled all over the world. He's met um, Jack Ma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Prince William, mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> uh, the prin- Princess Anne. Who else has he met? He's met Jane Goodall. And I think the best thing about Jenneria is he doesn't, he know, doesn't know who they who are. They are. So, so, so he goes so up to this, them. This name has come up a lot. Jenneria. So he was yeah. the first, one of the first guys Shivani started with. And he's now the director of Community of Conservation. Com- right. so, and he started as a Moran at the age of 26, I think. No, no, 19. Oh, 19. He's a 19 wow. year old now boy. he's a Mzee. <laughs> <laughs> but like, he's like, he was, there's a photo of him sitting next to Jack Ma, right? Who is, um, what's the company? Alibaba. Alibaba, yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's like, yeah, so... And we're like, no, but don't you understand? Yeah. He's like so chilled and blasé about it. He's so grounded. Uh-huh. It's fantastic. Um, you've met some amazing people. I have, yeah. I'm not as grounded as Generia's <laughs> when I meet them. I, I get quite excited. I think David Attenborough was definitely a highlight oh, wow. for me. I, I, yeah, he's just an extraordinary person. What he's done for conservation and yeah. nature... It's just, it's amazing. Does he, does he speak like he does on the documentaries in real definitely, life? Definitely. I mean, I didn't have a very long chat with him, but yeah. yes, he does. So there is a video that I watched where he talks about, well, this is when Shivani was winning many years ago, she won the Whitley Award. And mm. he was he was the one introducing them. And there's this thing where he talks and introduces Shivani and then says Shivani Bala in his in voice. In his voice. <gasps> oh my God, it gave me goosebumps. Big. That's a big deal. Yeah, that's a big deal, Shivani. Don't look so... Like, what are you? <laughs> no, you definitely are grounded about all this. <laughs> no. Anyone else that uh, is, like, we should be, we should know about? Princess Anne, perhaps? I think, you know, we meet them and you expect them to be uh, just very hard to engage with. But in the end, they're all humans and they have normal conversations with us. And I'm, I'm a little bit uncomfortable and yeah. not uncomfortable, but you know, just like beyond excited. I have to say, the person I was really excited to meet a year ago, not to do with conservation, was Elliot Kipchoge. And mm. I was totally fangirling. And mm-hmm. I made such a scene in the Java. And of course, we bumped into him in Java in Eldoret. And of course, it was Jenneria who went up to him and said, Hey, my name's Jenneria. We do lion conservation in Samburu. Can we talk to you? Oh. And he was so nice. He spent so long with us and just talked to us about everything. So yeah, I get wow. very excited and nothing comes out of my mouth. But <laughs> Jenneria comes and rescues me all the time. 
sounds love amazing. It. Okay, so next time you see a celebrity, this is what you're going to do. You're going to do the, this meditation, which I have taught you <laughs> before. I'm going to do it again with you. It is the one that we do a lot on this show, All yeah. Is Well, uh, because you can do a quick All Is Well and then go and see Elliot Kipchoge <laughs> or uh, David Attenborough, and then maybe you'll have something to say. So sitting quietly for a moment, closing your eyes or lowering your gaze if you feel comfortable to do so. Bring your attention to your breathing. Breathing in and out through your nose, honoring every breath into your body and every breath out. And now put your right hand on your heart and your left hand on your stomach. Bring your attention to your breath. Breathing in and out. On the next in-breath, think or imagine the word all. Hold your breath. Think the word is. Breathe out the word well. Breathe in all, hold is, breathe out well. Breathe in all, hold is, breathe out well. All is well. And then bringing your awareness back to your breathing, back into the space you're in, back to my voice. And when you're ready, slowly opening your eyes. I have taught you that. Do you do it? <laughs> yeah, you have taught me that <coughs> as to whether I do it or not. Um, <laughs> I, I, that's a no. That's I, a no. I, I found I do it uh, every so often. Yeah? Yeah, if, if I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed by something. It's such brilliant. Yeah. It's simple and it keeps the heart rate down. It gets your breathing deep and yeah. it means that you can then go and speak to celebrities without getting <laughs> fangirly. <laughs> okay. So we're going to cast you away to a desert island. Yes, that is right. And, you know, when when you say that, I realize her, her real life is really not that different. <laughs> the desert. Yeah, she is. She's like in a little conservancy. Uh. Yeah. So take one book with you to this desert island. What would that book be? I'm a very poor reader. I don't read <laughs> serious books at all. I'm constantly people recommend this book and that book and I just don't read them. Mm-hmm. The one book I do read because it helps me switch off from all whatever's going on in my life is any Danielle Steele book. <laughs> so it's ah. absolutely nothing serious at all. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you can feel my despair, right? Because here I am reading five books a month about psychology oh, and energy and, you. and whatever. And she's reading. I know we've got War and Peace to do. Uh, like yeah, yeah, no, but I'm still very impressed by the rate at which you're just eating up I'm these eating books, books. From, from the beginning of the year. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. We've been talking about it. Yeah, I can even show you the list. I've started writing them down because I'm oh, forgetting. Please. I would love to see it. But Shivani, <laughs> I, I can't remember. I read, I read Daniel Steele when I was 16 <laughs> and I was like, oh what goodness. is this? And I only read when I'm on holiday. I don't read in camp <laughs> at all. So I, I will download five or six Daniel Steele books and on my just, Kindle and get through and all just of go them. Through. <laughs> What's the last one you read? Do you remember? No, (laughs) I don't remember music, I don't remember books, I don't remember anything. But Daniel Steele is obviously so unmemorable. It's it's like every book becomes a same, which is what you want. (laughs) But you, I feel like you don't need to read. You have this, I mean, the pictures you post on Instagram are insane, like amazing sunsets and sunrises Mm. and elephants walking by. And you, that's kind of your thing to do, right? That is, that's how I, yeah, switch off is I'll go out on a drive and we're very lucky. Our camp is just amazing. There's animals that come right up to it. And from my house, I can see elephants in the river. And Mm. yeah, I'm very grateful for Mm. being able to live in such a space. 
So I suppose you wouldn't read, right? If you had that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, why you would don't you? have to get lost in a book. When no, you just get lost in the in, environment. In the thing, yeah. yeah. What uh, song would you play? Yes. One I song. Play. I only <laughs> chose this song because I, I know the words. Uh, <laughs> Leave Your Light On by Belinda Carlisle. So a friend of mine and I were singing to it last month. And it's just a song I've known for we both grew up on we we knew it when we were in our teens mm. and we remember we reminded each other of it last month and we were singing along to it so i only chose it because it's a song i know the words to but wow. again i'm not very good at knowing knowing names of songs and yeah okay it just sort of it goes in one year and I'm, <laughs> i don't know the names i think i honestly think it's because you're always so present Mm. Probably your life has taught you to. I I I I know songs because I'm holding on to them and I'm like, yo, at one point the proverbial is going to hit the fan and I'm going to need this song as a pick me up. Wow! And so okay. I have like a liked songs and I'm making all of these wow. playlists. It's 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 hoarding, so to speak. I I, I and we've discussed Let, this. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have time to. No, go we don't into. have time to go into that one. Yeah, that's another emotional topic. But um, moving on, if there was one luxury item you could take with you, what would it be? I'm loving this line of questioning because I feel we're asking them to the person that does not. No, no, but this luxury item, when I read it, I was like, yeah, I get it. Okay, fine. So what would that luxury item be? Because I didn't have it for 20 years, it came to me immediately. I would want a flush loo. <laughs> when you have to open the toilet, a, a drop-down toilet, or or in the bush, but you and you have to look for snakes and lizards oh, before you have goodness. a wee, you are going to want a flush loo toilet, I, or I you're that. sitting on it and a lizard is trying to get out of it. <laughs> this is not oh fun. my god! <laughs> <laughs> we only had the drop-down toilet when we went to Shanks, when we went up country yeah. to, to to Meru or to Chuka, yeah, and and that you know that ended you know in the 90s came around and yeah. and develop development in quotes started to arrive uh we started to forget that yeah and no, shivani started for i, I stopped going years. to a camp because i was like i can't do this uh, are they still drop down toilets <clears throat> no because oh, i'd like to I visit sometime and i'm super excited about okay. it i can't go back <laughs> all right oh wow okay and who would you have brunch with yes on this desert island dead or alive david attenborough mm. ah of course yeah i would love to spend time with him and just ask him about what place if there was one place he would recommend I go see what would it be Ooh, and if great there question. was one animal I should see that I haven't seen which would it be because he's been and done it all he's been all over the world documenting amazing creatures and places I would just I want to ask him those two questions because I'd love to go see those two things I'm, I'm just so inspired by that answer I, I want to ask the next question um so we want to thank you so much for being here on this show. This has been such an inspiring conversation. And thank you for sharing your story with us. One final question. What advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Although I would like to remix this and ask, what uh, what advice would you give your pre-Samburu self? Pre-Samburu self? Yeah. Before this life took a new turn. Which was in your 20s, right? Was it? When did you no, go to No, it was early. Tw- I mean, I moved to Samburu in my 20s, late 20s. Ah. Uh Pre-Samburu, I think I would say make the most of... I had no responsibility back then Uh, before I moved to Samburu. None. And life changed when I moved to Samburu. I'm responsible for a lot. Mm. And that sometimes gets quite hard. So I would give myself the advice before moving to Samburu, just make the most of those times where you're totally free 
and have no responsibility and just really enjoy it. Not, I'm not saying I don't enjoy my life and I love it, but there's a lot of responsibility that goes with it uh, for yeah, so many different ways and reasons. I would also say take care of your health mm. because when I moved to Sambru, there was a, I went up and down with lots of health issues and I think I took that for granted before mm. moving to Sambru. I mm. thought, you know, I'll be able to do whatever I want and eat whatever I want for the rest of my life, but that's definitely not the case right. now. I have to be very careful what I do and how I eat and stuff. So it would just be eat as much cake as you want because one day you might not be able to eat as much as you oh, want. Wow. I love <laughs> Thank it. you so much. Shivani, how can people reach you uh, through Iwaso Lions and see more about your work? They can look at our website. That's iwasolions.org. We're also pretty active on social media, Facebook, Instagram, not really on Twitter. Are you on threads yet? <laughs> no, I just read that in the newspaper in the lounge just now I've not even heard of it until so Shivani comes to Nairobi and she's like what happened who did what Which? who's president of America now it's like that so no I, we're not on threads uh, and we can also you can also reach us on email if you have questions you can email us at info at iwasalliance.org uh, do you have a personal profile Oh, is it's Iwasa Lions no. yours? What, like, oh. Yeah, like yours. I'd, or do you uh, prefer to it's keep a private, them on private one for okay. my friends and family. Right. But the Iwasa Lions one is all about the project. Okay. Um, and also, if you want to donate to Iwasa Lions, please do email them at info at iwasalliance.org. Great. I we would love you. donations because we are fully donor funded. Got it. Thank you so Iwasa much. Iwasalliance.org. I just found you on Instagram. I am following. Really excited. <laughs> Thank you so much, Shivani. If you would like to follow me, I'm on at Just Joom on all social media and um, on threads soon, reluctantly, <laughs> not sure what the hell. I am at It's Mugambi and you can find me on all social media platforms. At Including threads. <laughs> I haven't posted a single thing. I just, out of curiosity, everyone's talking about it and, I, you know, you just transfer your thing. But then I, somehow this sinking feeling came and I was like, that's another yeah. distracting app on my phone. <laughs> we yeah. need to stop. We need to I stop. I think we need to stop. We need to stop. Yeah. To all our listeners, if you or someone you know is struggling with any mental health issues, please do seek professional help, whether that be a counselor or your doctor. You can also open up and share your feelings and mental health issues anonymously without fear of judgment on Bonga, www.bonga.or.ke. This is a safe space where you can start the healing process. I feel like we need to bring Shivani in because she's told us a lot about her work, but she's not told us about the challenges of physically, mentally, etc. on herself and her team. So Please. we're going to bring you in, Shivani, to yeah. talk about, because you touched on it uh, briefly about the food. and But I know that you've gone through a lot of health issues with driving and stuff like that. So it'll oh, be interesting to talk about that. Yeah, next cool. season. Yes, next season. Thank you so much, Shivani, for being here. To play out the show, we have her final song choice, which is Leave a Light On by Belinda Carlisle. This has been Mindfulness Music and More with me, Shalini Bala-Lucas. And me, Mugambin Tiga. We're grateful to all of you for your time today. Thank you for listening. And until next week, stay, stay happy, happy, be, be mindful. mindful.